Uh, hello and welcome to episode two of What Korean Cinema. I'm your host Stuart Sutherland, and join me tonight we've got Rufus from Cine Awesome. Hello, hello. And Ken. Hello. Uh, Martin couldn't join us uh, this evening, but with any luck, Martin may phone in during our break this evening. So he's here, really. In spirit and yeah. soon to be, uh, soon, soon to be physically here, kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a ghost. Yep. That's very creepy because it's now midnight here in Sweden, or past midnight, and now you're talking about ghosts. That, that sets the tone. I'm scared now, Rufus. You're welcome. You're just going to hear like a chuckle with some bass behind you. Wait. What's that noise? <laughs> that would be the worst thing, having a ghost rifle through your DVD collection. <laughs> <laughs> just seeing the cases flip from one side to another. That's my it? absolute nightmare. That would be Everything hor- is in the wrong order. God of Cookery is now in the, the <laughs> untold story case. What is that about? The worst poltergeist in the world. <laughs> Try That's to find DVDs now. <laughs> <laughs> Just all the ca- all the discs swapping cases. And DVD and Blu-ray cases. Madness. <laughs> so, Yes. <laughs> uh, this podcast is our uh, contribution to the 2011 Korean Blogathon, uh, which is uh, being co-hosted by uh, Rufus and Martin. Yes, it is. And by the time the show goes online, uh, the Blogathon should be in full swing. And not being our only contribution, we will also be looking into, well, I will. I've just re- recently received a copy of uh, 71 Into the Fire. So I'm going to look into watching that and doing a full review for the website. Good luck, sir. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it, it's, it's rare to actually receive any DVDs nowadays, and this just came through for no reason. And was, yeah, why not? It could have been a sign, a bad one, but yeah, a it, sign. Might, it might be a bad one from what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> The, tonight's movie might be a better Korean war film than that movie. Mm-hmm. So for those not familiar, uh, Welcome to Don Magwo came out in 2005, and the plot is as follows. Uh, this is extract taken from koreanfilm.org. Uh, a ragtag group of North Korean soldiers led by Commander Lee, played by uh, Jong Jae-yong, uh, are ambushed. Only Lee, Private Zhang, M. Ha Rung and teenager K by Ryu Shipit name survived. They encounter a strange young girl, Yon Il, played by Kang Hyung Jong. They find a temporary refuge in her village called Dong Magwo. The residents are blissfully unaware that the Korean War has been raging on. And the villagers also offer refuge to South Korean soldiers, uh, Lieutenant Pyo by uh, Shin Hya Kyun, and uh, the medic Moon, played by So Jae Dyung, uh, as well as Smith, uh, an American pilot played by uh, Steve uh, Tesla. Uh, after a tense standoff resulting in blowing up of the village's warehouse, the soldiers agree to a reluctant truce. At until, <laughs> aye, at least until the warehouse and its contents have been restored. 
this plot has been butchered by Stuart Sutherland. <laughs> Seriously, I, I can't speak for shit. I approve this butchering of our plot. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is the basics. I think, going, maybe we can see if we can split our discussion into two points. Say, we'll, we'll talk about it for the first half of the break, and then the second half of the break, we could go into the spoiler territories for people that haven't gone around seeing this movie yet. Right on. Right. <laughs> So uh, my first question for you guys is how did you first come across this movie? Now, Ken, I think, as you mentioned, you watched it for the first time, was it, just last night? For the first time, I'm probably the last person in the world to watch the movie, which is usually the case with known movies. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm lost in line, I just am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I got to, uh, to watch uh, the Korean Blu-ray of it uh, just recently found that, just recently, and that's pretty much the history of that. <laughs> what about you, Rufus? How did you first come across the movie? I was uh, living in Korea when this movie came out, and I saw it opening night. So, unsubtitled, sold-out show. It was, like, I think an 8 o'clock showing or something in Seoul, and it was it was pretty crazy. And I kind of, you know... Uh, it, it was been, it was a slow year for Korean film, mm. really. Like the first part of two thousand five, there wasn't really anything like hitting in the box office. Um, and then the second half of two thousand five just kind of like blew up. <laughs> so, so how did you find out? Actually, did you know like a lot of Korean off? Like, already to kind of get you through the film, or did you just yeah. go ahead? Yeah, I mean, I knew enough that I could generally follow along with the plot. Mm-hmm. The dialect that the villagers speak, I didn't understand anything. <laughs> like, I mean, especially, um, you know, Yo-Yu, who, the Kang Hae-jong character. Um, she... Not only she's kind of like slow in the movie, mm-hmm. and I just found it funny because she has this sort of like weird, like it's you know it's sort of like the dialogue they they speak sort of sounds like backwoodish, mm-hmm. you know like just like this kind of like small town weird dialect, and she being like the slow one in the village has even more of a dialect. Mm-hmm. And so I was reacting mostly just because, like, it sounds funny in Korean to hear Korean words. You know, like, when she's introduced, like, she's talking about, like, a rock with snakes in it. And it's just, like, in Korean, just hearing her say that, like, the whole audience was just dying. Like, everyone was laughing. Um, I do have to say that this movie is, was fairly easy to follow without subtitles. Mm. Uh, I think it's pretty well put together. Um, but yeah, so I heard about it because, you know, uh, John Jin wrote the screenplay, and I was, uh, he's, a, he's one of my favorite Korean directors slash screenwriters. Um, and I was like, I gotta go see this movie. So that's pretty much, that's pretty much how I saw it. Um, I was first attracted to it by it's just it's really 
cool uh, cover art, like the poster with everyone standing in the woods, and you've got uh, Kang Hae Jong with a big grinning smile. Yeah. And not thinking, it's like, she, Lassie looks slow. It's like, they all look really happy to be in the woods for some reason. And of course, it was like that brilliant trailer with the great music and. I just had to like figure out, like somehow obtain a copy of this, and eventually did get a copy sent to me from a friend, and it took me like a year to watch it. It's one of these things where he's like waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. So right, I've got it. <sighs> oh look, Xbox, and just went away, <laughs> and it lay there collecting dust. And it took the opposite effect when it's me with a movie where I'll I'll get the movie, I'll watch it myself. Mind blowing. I then get Margaret. She sits and watches it with me, and then I get our friends around. Then we all sit and watch it. So I usually get a good few times through the movie. This time, everyone, like all my friends, had seen the movie before me. <laughs> I I took the DVD with me and said, "Right, we're going to watch this." I had to leave. Zalisa and watched the entire film, and they all said, "Ah, oh, that was a really good film." It's like, it's like Korean cinema is quite good. And they'll talk about this. Like, fuck. I'm out of the loop. They they kind of at the movie and they're sitting talking about it. Oh, you've not seen it yet, have you? Like, no. So I try (laughs) and sit up and watch it. Like, it's stupid o'clock and I fall asleep. And just, it was like, it had to be like six months later before it was banging in the middle of summer. I mind they all sat and watched it at Christmas. And I finally sat and watched it and I was like, I will not be the left out kid on the block anymore. And I finally got around to say, I watched it. I was like, what, what film? I was like, the one in the... Oh, I can't mind it. It's like, damn you! <laughs> they couldn't remember it by the time I'd seen it. So, uh, it was. Uh, I had it for a year. Took a very long time to watch it. And now it's just like this big smile-inducing film where every time I finish it, I have to go on Facebook and have a rant and say, everyone must see this movie. It's like, here's the trailer. Here's like cover art. It's like, here's where yeah. you can buy it. And then see that no one replies to any of those comments and just get <laughs> so angry. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a very uh, wonderful existence, emotional existence too. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> going, like... go, going from top to bottom in terms of emotions. Mm-hmm. And then so you're sitting at work the next day and it's like, I watched this interesting Korean film last night. What's Korean cinema? It's like, Jackie Chan films? It's like, no! It's not Jackie Chan films! Yeah, yeah. I've gone to the point where I just can't talk about films in front of people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was how I really first came across it, and eventually went on to buy the uh, UK DVD that came out by Cine Asia, which has now been re-released as uh, Welcome to Dongma Goal uh, Battleground 625. Uh, what? What's that about? Yeah, right. it's big text battleground six two five at the top. Welcome to Dog Mac. Well, what the hell does that even mean? I know. I I can't even think. I actually was supposed to pay attention when watching the movie originally to see if maybe they have the coordinates. No, no, it's no the, mention of the anything. Korean, the original Korean title is Welcome to Tomakul. Mm-hmm. Like it's English transcribed into Korean. Mm-hmm. This is Battlegrounds. And it had a five. hard cover as well. Yes, it's got a... like Shin Hakim looking worried. <laughs> like, like in these dark grey tones. 
Yes, serious. If you liked, put if you have a hard on for war movies, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> you're going to turn around and say, "What the color? Green, blue skies." Slow where's motion. Steven, aye, where's the Saving Private Ryan opening? Giant boat war. <laughs> No, uh, that's a it, misstep and a half. That one. It is. like you're. Even the UK, like the original cover before that, where it just has the two leads and the crash plane behind them. It looks like fire in front of them. That's still too serious. There's nothing happy at all. They just have like an infinite an emphasis on the guy with the scarred face and the back cover, and everyone else holding up guns. Nah. <laughs> It's like it's kind of like the uh, in the U.S. when they release Asian films, and it's like like Shiri, right? Got released here, and it's just like a giant picture of a girl that I don't even think is in the movie. It's just some like random Asian girl with a gun, like looking all sexy in a miniskirt. Mm-hmm. I'm like, was... that's not even part of the movie. <laughs> That was like the same for the Infernal Affairs poster. Oh my god, yeah, where that's true. they put like a girl in between Andy Lau and Tony Leung. Who was in the movie for one minute. Like Tony yeah. Leung's ex-girlfriend. They meet on the street. She has a baby. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, it's like all She's the She's not form. dressed like a slut. The guys that are in like, you know, the district. You know what guys, you know what white people like? Asian girls. Let's put them on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Also, guns. We need lots of guns. Yeah. Did um, you see the Chinyuko incident you was covered with Jackie oh, Chan with his big, dirty, hairy oh, gun? It's so bad. <laughs> he has a gun in the movie. I think he shoots in the air once. Yeah. And maybe For, not even I th- that. I think I don't even think he shoots it. Doesn't he just <laughs> wave it around? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the Musa, the warrior cover that stands out the most. Where... The, which isn't even a good movie. <laughs> and they've just basically like uh, photoshopped swords into the film, like yeah. into the cover art. Because it's got the main guy running with his arm behind his back. The American cover's got a hand put in there holding a the sword. Yeah. And they even like, gave Zhang Zi a sword. Yeah. Like, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> that, I, that you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if I went to Blockbuster and saw like the cover for, like I don't know, the... Fucking Ilmar, or whatever the, you know that was remade with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, and they were on the cover with guns and swords, like uh, the deadly mailbox yeah. <laughs> from the future. <laughs> it just was uh, like Mister Mrs. Smith with a, like a mailbox between them. <laughs> and, I, and I gotta inject a little bit of uh, Hong Kong madness in that regard as well. Uh, a couple of old-timey old 80s uh, dramas and Hong Kong action films have been released with ridiculous titles on US VHS and maybe DVD. A prime example is uh, The Story of Bouviet, the Chinese drama, released in America as God of Killers. Uh, yes, it was released here as God of Killers. And uh, there's one movie called Hong Kong Corruptor. I'm not sure what the original was uh, for that one, but uh, there's a whole lot of madness in, in that regard. And... Uh, uh, there you go. I have a question though. W- was this? Do you remember this movie, Welcome to the Dongmakol, as being a, a bus movie in the West, you know, forums and stuff like that? Or how how was the rumor uh, for this movie really? I don't even think it was released here. 
but when it came out in Korea, pe people always know in the West of DVD releases in Korea and limited well, editions, does, I mean, stuff like that. People, I think people were aware. I think because it was so big mm -hmm. initially. Although I think King and the Clown eclipsed it totally. Because if you look at like the box office for 2005, um, Welcome to Dolmuckle is number two, and that was released in the summer, so you know August or whatever, um, and that was I think it, it it made like it it sold like eight million entries tickets or or whatever, which was huge for the year. Like then you know marrying the mafia two was the next big one, and that was like 5.6 million. And then King of the King and the Clown came out in December of 2005, and was insane. I don't know why that movie was so popular, but it was 12.3 million tickets sold. In essence, what uh, what is that movie about? What genre is it? It's I it the title, but uh... it's basically uh, I don't even. It's like a a historical dramedy. Right. And it has, like, a huge gay subtext. Um, and I, it was just, like, it blew up. And it was, like, everybody was talking about it. There was a huge thing about, about it. Uh, the uh, New York Asian Film Festival had it. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was huge. You know, worldwide, everyone was talking about King of the Clown. Um, and that, like, actually, like Welcome to Dolmuckle, King of the Clown was actually based off of a stage play. Hmm. And, and so that blew up, and I think that sort of took a lot of the thunder from Welcome to Dolmuckle away. Um, and the other reason why I don't know why, I don't know if Welcome to Dolmuckle was po popular in the West is because, like, people just don't know about the Korean War, really. Yeah. Like, America, I mean, we're, we're taught about Korean War in sort of, eh, happened after World War II, there was a war there, North Korea is bad, that's it. <laughs> you know, and there's no real understanding of, like, the Korean War is it hasn't ended. North Korea and South Korea are still at war. There's just a ceasefire. Mm. You know, the the war itself never finished. You know, in terms of legal whatever. Um, but it was a horrible war. And like this is like and you watch this movie and the beginning you're watching it and people are being like blown apart and you know like the the early massacre of the North Korean soldiers is really brutal, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that it, it just kind of this movie wasn't as palatable maybe to Western audiences. It might have been a little bit hard to sell. Like it's a, a war movie that on one hand is really brutal, and on the other hand, it's a comedy. Yeah, there you have something to that is hard to sell yeah. to any audience because yeah. audiences like to feel comfy when they go but, into some into the cinema. Yeah, but given that, I'm still kind of confused because Mash is really how most Americans see the Korean War, and that was a comedy mm -hmm. about a horrible war. Mm. You know, like I don't, I don't know, like I, 
I, I don't think this movie was as big as people thought it was going to be in the West. Uh, I do. I, I'm pretty sure that this was the Korean entry for the the foreign film category in the Oscars that year, though. But it um, didn't have uh, accepted, I guess. Uh, I, nah, yeah, it didn't win. I mean, Korea has never won a foreign uh, foreign audit or foreign film Oscar. Although maybe this year with poetry, but I don't know if that's actually... I don't follow the Oscars anymore, <laughs> so uh, I don't it's really about, know. It's all about lobbying, really. It's, yeah. it's not really about uh, movie quality. Yeah, for for the the audience listening, like when the Oscars are going around here, we'll be recording a V-Cinema podcast during the Oscars. <laughs> so that, that shows you where my loyalties lie. <laughs> Oh, a Korean movie one. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I mean, like this movie was huge. Like, just to like give people, like the audiences that might not know, like a a sort of view of why eight million tickets is huge in Korea. I mean, it was in theaters for eleven weeks, which is a long time, and it beat out King Kong, Harry Potter, and the Goblet of Fire, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Handedly, I think King Kong had le- like half of the ticket sales, and Harry Potter had three point six million or something like that that year. So I mean, it was a, like a box office juggernaut, and like King and the Clown and Welcome to Domakul were like the next the next level down was five point six million. So that's I mean, out of out of the entire population of Seoul. Seoul's like 10.3 million people. You know, so that's like 80% of the entire population of Seoul want to go see this movie. <laughs> so. And they're a league, a league in their own uh, based on the ticket sales, really. Yeah. The, the jumps are quite uh, scary. Yeah. And I mean, this was kind of like the beginning of a decline in this year was the beginning of a decline in Korean cinema. People were worrying about like, okay, well, you know, we're not doing as well. And there's several box office failures in the years past. And like, people were kind of really worried and they were kind of like, you know, Im Sang-soo released president's last bang this year. Um, Pak Chan Wook, who did Old Boy, released Sympathy for Lady Vengeance in 2005. So there was like, you know, but that was all kind of like toward the ends of the year. You know, and the beginning of the year was like really small, little teeny movies that didn't do very well. So. Mm. Except for a Marathon, which actually did very well, which is. Um, you know, but that was kind of like the Forrest Gump. For Korea, <laughs> so uh, one of those movies that uh, is bound to get noticed and uh, get the tenders because it's more more uplifting, I gather. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's like a feel-good, you know, movie about mental illness, right. which Korea doesn't really do well at all. Yeah. So yeah, this was also the uh, direct feature film directorial debut of the director uh Pak Kwang Hyun. Uh previous before this he had uh 
done a couple of commercial films for like McDonald's and things, and he he you know like kind of some short films, and he he kind of got noticed for he, there's a a short film omnibus called No Comment um, that came out in 2002, um, and who. Uh, Zhang Jin, who wrote the 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 screenplay for Welcome to Dongmakul, produced it, and it was just like a three three movies by short films. Um, and he did the best short of the three, in my opinion, uh, called My Nike, and it stars Ryu Daekwon, who is the young North Korean in Welcome to Dongmakul, mm-hmm. and basically. The whole movie is about him really, really wanting Nike sneakers. And it takes place in the early 80s. Uh, and it's sort of... It's a really interesting look at, like, the period in Korea where, like, consumerism really started. And uh, it was it was good. So then he, he did Welcome to Dongmakul. And after... Afterwards, I don't think he's actually directed anything. Oh. <laughs> As one of those directors looking for a project more thoroughly rather than being yeah. pressed I'm... and stressed to to go into production again. Which is interesting because he has like this really amazing visual sense and style. I mean, the style in this film is you know very distinct. In terms of like even Korean films that year, but definitely in terms of Korean war films, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of surreal. It's you know has that sort of like surrealist comedy that like you know Amelie has in some ways in terms of visual the visual sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I he I don't know what he's working on now. I haven't heard anything. Um, hopefully he is working on something because he did make a lot of money with this movie. So, <laughs> <Don't wait laughs> just, uh, or maybe <laughs> he was like, you know, he was like, "Screw it, I'm done." All right, whatever. <laughs> Bad <to> McDonald's. <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah, I mean, he's pretty young. Uh, you know, he was born in 1969 or 70, so you know, he still has time to time to like work on his his craft and Mm -hmm. it's been six years since we've heard from him and that could be due to the economy you know the korean film films have been slowly declining recently it's been harder and harder for people to get big budgets so who knows but i I don't know yeah so he has this is his one and only feature film Will be no box set anytime soon. No, unfortunately <laughs> not. <laughs> was this a high budget movie? Do you know by Korean standards? It doesn't look super high budget, but that well was. made, obviously. Okay. Um, I'm not quite sure what the uh, the budget was, but I mean, it was it was a big a big deal when right. it came out, uh, especially. 
even though we probably look at this and we like look at the CG in this film and are like, that's pretty, pretty horrible. In Korea, well, I mean, well, not horrible, but it's like obviously CG in certain, like with the planes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a huge deal in Korea. I mean, there was a lot of CG in this film. Uh, I think the budget was probably, if I had to guess off the top of my head, something like $8 million U.S. money, which is a big deal in Korea. You know, $8 million in America is like, what? What the hell are you gonna make with that? Like, you can't even play. You can't even play. You know, you can't even play one actor to play in this movie. Let alone, you know, yeah, this this surely, movie has uh, like that's Charlie Sheen's uh, per episode wages. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> two and, 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 and this movie has Shin Ha Kyun, Jung Jae Young, Kang Hae Jung. Like, I mean, Kang Hae Jung was blowing up after Old Boy. Shin Ha Kyun and uh, Jung Jae Young are really really great korean actors you know they're big and even like the little bit parts i mean this is a huge movie and like for you know they did the whole thing for eight million bucks or whatever you know i could be wrong about that number so (laughs) regardless it looks stellar and uh, so you know they 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 use the money well whatever the amount it was So I mean, and this wasn't one a movie. It didn't run. I think Kang Hye Jung won an award in Korea for her like best supporting actress or something for this film. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there was no rewards or no awards wow. given. So kind of goes like to show. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like this was like a year where, in terms of international. Like critics, I mean, people were talking about like Tales of Cinema, which was a Hong Sang Soo movie came out, and Im Sang Soo's Presence Last Bank. So those were like the big, the big uh, critical films. Kim Kim Ki Duck released The Bow. Uh, the Green Chair came out. So there was like these art house films that kind of like, you know, that was where the international crowd was. In terms of uh, you know you know how like international film festivals really you know play to the art house crowd like Kim Ki Duck basically mm-hmm. by this point doesn't make any movie I think his last two movies didn't even get released in Korea <laughs> you know he literally it's sort of like Taiwanese filmmakers at this point where they just make movies for film festival international film festivals mm. well to to like go go into my view or review of this movie, I'm gonna track back a little to first the first episode because if people listen to that when I talked about my sassy girl, they when they heard me, they might have thought it sounded like a dog barking or something. It was just <laughs> not uh, <laughs> it was just negativity all around, almost anyway. But but after watching Welcome to Domako. I I I guess the sound is akin to like a purring kitten. <laughs> <laughs> this was good. This was good. This this was very good. This was a good choice, Stuart. <laughs> um, I'm I'm very very pleased. And uh, 
you know, at the start of the movie, I, 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 I won't go into spoiler territory, but, but I will speak a little bit about specific parts. You know, for me, it's always worrying uh, at the start of a movie when you have history attached to a local movie because you don't know at that point if it's going to reach you as an outside viewer or someone who isn't familiar with history. But in the end, of course, it will enhance the experience if you know a bit or a lot about the history of the time and uh, what went on at that particular point in Korean War history. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we get the idea, the framework, absolutely, you know, tenfold, uh, uh, based on that quote at the beginning and also the various tips and pointers we get throughout the film. So, so that worry flew out the window pretty quickly for me. And uh, also, <laughs> the how to survive a two-hour-plus running time, again, <laughs> that's always a worry. <laughs> but uh, for this movie, I, you know, I, I forgot about the running time pretty quickly. And especially the last hour goes by pretty quickly. So this was not an issue either. It's one of those fast-moving two-hour-plus movies. And, you know, speaking of long movies in general, I mean, a captivating film, really, could run for very long and you... You, you know, you you got my approval instantly. Like the good, the bad, and the ugly. I wish that ran six hours instead of three, <laughs> because it's an awesome film, and I would love for that just to play play more, do more, do more, extend the final shootout about two hours. I would love that. Just put some Morricone music, more Morricone music on that, and uh, Dances with Wolves could have run eight hours for Raquel. I would love to sit there for eight hours. So. You know, I, I say on the podcast that I don't like movies to run above 90 minutes, but that, that that's really depending on the movie. You know, if you make a certain genre movie and go the two-hour route when you really shouldn't, then then something then something is not right. You know, we talked about Fatal Move last time, you and I, Stu, and uh, 112 minutes for a B-action movie. No, 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 no. You don't do that. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Uh, and the final hurdle, kind of, that you have to come over, uh, that I thought I was going to like uh, struggle with, is uh, the Korea's own Guaylo actors, because there's an American actor in this one. It's like, whoa, are we going to have a bad performance here? But again, all are all questions answered favorably, including the performance by uh, Steve Tashler, or however you pronounce his name, and. Uh, Again, very, very, very good visually. This film, I mean, I was very impressed by a movie that looks stellar, but in no way, or really, in in small ways only, needs to be flashy. And it brings me to my like first negative point about the film. I, I thought the more uh, the war scenes at the beginning with uh, with the shaky cam and kind of Saving Private Ryan style, I thought that was uh, that gave me a headache, to be honest. Is was one of those cases where uh, I, not for two hours, please. Not this style for two hours. Thankfully, it wasn't <laughs> that style for two hours. It literally gave me a headache. Uh, it was something something wrong with that. Uh, but uh, you know, only for a brutal scene, really brutal scenes. They he had that style, and uh, mm-hmm. that was fine. Really, I mean, I, I understand the choice. It's one of like two minor negatives along the way. By the way, that scene and a later scene. So you. You, you know, I really, really dug this film. Uh, and and I, I gotta give props to whoever put together the, the Blu-ray, the Korean Blu-ray, because that's 
that's how you do Blu-rays. You know, it's <laughs> you know the whole this whole screen was swarming with grain and pretty colors and sharpness, and that's just perfect, beautiful. You know, grain is your friend, as I always say when when it comes to Blu-rays, and uh, that's that's absolutely absolutely brilliant. Uh, but you know the, the the main the main theme I guess and uh, maybe this is just me not that maybe there are a lot of themes uh, main themes but the main theme I I take away from this movie is kind of connected to Little Big Soldier in a way and it's this when when soldiers are scattered and away from the war effort and you you realize that they are all humans, these opposing forces, and, I, and that is what we find out during Welcome to Dogmako, that when you're away from the conflicts, and even though you have different uniforms, you you are pretty much similar. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a very not a revolutionary theme at all, but uh, I I I I think that's a very compelling story strand to me. That's why I like JSA a whole lot. Because mm-hmm. uh, they are definitely at their guard posts, way away from any, you know, constant, constant conflict. It's all quiet out there, in their little, in their little bunkers, if you will, in their little guard posts. <laughs> so therefore, the movie can be funny as well, and that's, that's like the key to Welcome to Domacol as well, when they introduce a contrast in the film, you know, with the introduction of the girl. I... Because I'm a fan of when movies are, you know, take a left turn, if you will, and really introduce something wild out of the blue, a contrast to, in this case, you know, hard and brutal violence. You've got this wonderful, pitch-perfect image of innocence and joy. Mm-hmm. And she likes what is that? Is that pointing at the gun and put, basically putting her almost putting her finger into a gun? I was thinking of a cartoon joke as soon as I saw that. <laughs> you know, is she gonna put a finger into that and they're gonna? <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's absolutely one wonderful. Uh... So you know the humor we discussed. Uh, you know that you discussed Rufus uh, about the way this director shoots his. Uh, humor I guess, his style of shooting his humor his underplayed dry humor I think yeah. th- this is evident in that wonderful standoff scene mm-hmm. yeah that's, and, my, uh, that's my favorite scene in this movie. And, and especially when I think it was clinched so well when they're all gathered on the little uh, uh, little uh, stone at the, in the middle of the village where they make the villagers all sit there and after a while like I got shit to do. I gotta go. I gotta pee. And other guys are leaving. To... I gotta do stuff. So you wait here. You you do what you do. You can have your standoff, and we'll we'll just do something else. You know, the, these villagers are they're not accustomed to this, but but I think they also like they they are clever enough to see that these are just fools. They're not gonna do anything. And uh, even though they don't know what a grenade is, as we find out. <laughs> I, I actually love the thought process of of the villagers in Dongmakol that uh, you know we 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 gotta take care of our shit and you 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 do what you do you don't have any bullets anyway so we we're smart enough to not waste time on you and all of this I think is the key for all this is that it's 
underplayed, but not to you know uh, a non-existent degree where you don't notice the humor. Obviously, it's it's just it's situational humor. You know, based on the situation, I think he director squeezes like the perfect amount of humor out of this without drawing attention to himself. Like, look at this. Here's a humorous moment. Here's a banana peel joke. Here's someone shouting a little bit loud, louder than everyone else, and there you have comedy. You know, so I guess I gotta ask you guys that. Well, do you appreciate that kind of underplayed humor, situational humor, if you will? What do you think, Rufus? I mean, I think I think that you're pretty spot on. I mean, I love the humor in this film, and I much prefer the sort of underplayed humor which in America is kind of like I don't know we kind of view it more as like British humor in some ways it's more subtle and then like there's that crazy you know it's not like uh, there's so many Korean comedies that are just way over the top and like slapstick and you know just in your face like ha 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 this is funny you know um, and, and I mean, sort of going off of what you were saying, like my, my feeling on this movie is like, it could have been a really horrible movie. Mm-hmm. Like the concept of the movie is incredibly difficult. You know, like this is sort of like saying like to Americans, like I'm going to make a movie where a couple American GIs and a couple Nazis like, like, sort of get together in this little village, and the the villagers don't know World War Two is going on, and we're gonna have like a Frenchman who doesn't speak any English or something, <laughs> and I'm gonna make it a comedy. Yeah. You know, like, what the like, you know, Give that me movie money would, for this now. <laughs> yeah, that movie would never be made. But I think like this movie could have gone in a way where the villagers were portrayed as just incredibly stupid yep. and over the top, and they weren't. No. And the most they clever, were, clever people in the film, really. Yeah, they were smart, and sure, they didn't know there was a war going on, but they were never. it was never like the movie was looking down on them. No. And it could have been a movie where the South Koreans were, like, you know, much better off. Or in, in terms of, like, how the movie portrayed them. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the American was this dumb American, you know, and everybody in this movie gets a very even treatment. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how the comedy is played, too. Yeah. Very evenly played, subtle moments of, yeah, there's physical humor, but it's 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 born out of the character and the how you know that character would react to the moment rather than look at like even the girl you know and then you know like overblown american or even an overblown korean film she would have been like this like sort of like sloth character from whatever like from the goonies or whatever Mm. you know like kind of like i'm mentally handicapped i'm stupid What's that, a gun? But, and you know, really, she's sort of, like, you know, played very evenly. And, like, 
I, I, I just really loved all the characters in this film. And that's where the comedy comes out of. And since you see her first, you don't know if that's going to be, you know, the the behavior of the villagers yeah. in general, you know. So, and 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 I'm not saying that because I was worried that oh my god, are, are they going to have, you know, some grating behavior in twenty villager characters all throughout the movie? Obviously, that didn't happen, and she is not in any way grating. I mean, she's she she is slower. And, than everyone else, but she is also very wonderful and uh, has all the, sen- you know, very much uh, senses intact. You know, she has the joy, she has the empathy yeah. uh, in her, and it's not ignorance at all. No, it's it's, it's absolutely everything intact, and uh, such a great performance. And uh, I'm glad she was, at least she was noticed because that yeah. uh, it's not one of those like oh. We're gonna nominate her just because she played uh, an ill person or an historical person. It's one of those performances that deserves to be nominated and 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 then some. Yeah, I mean it was, and I, I, I again I want to point out that the accent that she had, like in Korea, much like in China, or China is more extreme. But in Korea, there's like uh, what's called in Korea satori, which is sort of dialect. Um, and her accent or satori is just like it's so f- weird that it's funny. So anything she says in the movie has that added bit of like you're saying this in such a weird way that it's automatically funny, <laughs> you know? It breaks the house down. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, like, uh, like when she's introduced, I mean, like I said, when I was in Korea watching this on opening night, people were just, like, dying <laughs> in the movie theater, just laughing, like, almost harder than I've ever seen Korean audiences laugh. So, Were you aware of uh, the fact that that was due to her accent at that time? Or you learned that yeah, I mean, because, I mean, I'd, I'd been exposed to different accents, uh, especially with, like, the Chingu or a friend coming out with Pusan Satoru. And I have a lot of friends from different areas of Korea. So, like, when you, you know, when they speak, it's very different, you know. And there's an island off the coast of Korea, like Jeju Island or Jeju-do. And, like, I don't understand anything they say at all. It's, like, not even Korean almost, yeah. you know. So, I mean, I was aware just having lived there and having friends from all over Korea, like, aware of the different accents. And, like, when you, I mean, even my girlfriend, when we watched it, she was kind of like, you know, why is she talking like that kind of thing? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. But, uh and, and and there's charisma in every performance. Oh, I mean, I don't. So. I, I I only know Shiakyun basically from because I've mm-hmm. seen uh, three four movies with him. Prime one being being Save the Green Planet, which I think right. is still my favorite Korean movie because a movie that shouldn't work has way too much stuff in it, but it actually is perfect for yeah. what it is. It should have all of that in it. It uh, it's one it does once in a lifetime. You know, you roll the dice and you struck. Well, I mean, he he was huge. I mean, he you know JSA, um, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance as the 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 deaf mute. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, he picks really, really interesting roles. And he was actually in uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Or, or, well, he was in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, but he was in Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, mm-hmm. um, which came out the same year. And he was also in John Jin's movie, The Big Scene, um, also known as Murder Take One. Uh, which came out on the, the same year. So Zhang Jin was the writer of this film and the producer, and then Zhang Jin made his own movie the same year that came out later on. And he was he was my favorite part in that movie too. So I always love Shin Hakyun. He he feels to me like a guy who just you know wants he can choose his roles wisely, and yeah. uh, and if. You know, if it means not being on the movie scene for a year, maybe, maybe that will be worth it. Because I want to find something that suits me. And he seems like still such a young guy. Yeah. There's a lot still left in him. Well, he has that, he also has that, like you said, that charisma, that grin, you know. Yeah. Um, and that was, I mean, I think he started with Zhang Jin in a movie called Guns and Talks. Yeah, in 2001, which is not a good movie, but one of my favorite movies, if that <laughs> makes sense. You know, and that might be more, uh, you know, sort of ha- ha- like nostalgia, right? Kind of. Um, but I really love that movie, and he just has that like kind of weird grin, and he 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 can play kind of crazy too at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah! Save the green planet. Or you know, his alien speech is wonderful yeah. in that. <laughs> and then even in movies like that aren't good, he's still good in it. Mm. You know, like there's this movie that came out like more recently called uh, the De- uh, the game. And I think the English title may have been released some places as Devil's Game, mm-hmm. and it's a totally retarded movie. I mean, this movie is horrible. It's a, basically this old guy switches brains with Shin Ha-kyun. Like, literally switches brains. Like, takes his brain out and puts it in that guy's body. And Shin Ha-kyun's bo- brain goes into this old dude's body. You know, it's so bad. But you know what? God damn it. He is fucking awesome in that movie. <laughs> So, like, a, like a vice versa uh, Korean style, you know, with uh, all the 80s uh, uh, trend of uh, Switch movies in America, you know, vice versa, and big and all, all that. Oh, so yeah, like I a mean, twisted version of that. It's exactly a twisted version. I mean, it's like, you're just like watching this. Well, it's like just, a, it's really fucking horrible. But, I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know you can't help but like him in the movie. Um, I mean, it, it helps like all the actors in that movie are great actors, but the movie itself is like the script is like the idea is just so retarded that you're just like, really? It's like face off, but dumber. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so it's still, I mean, obviously he's a, you know, a, a charismatic guy and all that, but it seems to me through his roles that he is not destined to be like a romantic lead or a Hollywood star anytime soon, but but maybe he's done those kind of roles. So. I think he has. Um, but, but I'm basing it on like the four or five movies I've seen, which are really kind of out there, and and this movie is a bit more more normal for him. 
I mean, I haven't seen every single one of his films. So, but I, I'm pretty sure he has been in romantic comedies. I just, and it could also be, I know he was on a TV drama, which in Korea is inevitably a romantic comedy. <laughs> um, or something to do with foxes. Yeah, or something to do with foxes. Uh, <laughs> so it could be, you know, but I think he, he has enough sway you know, just from even coming off of 2000, like 2000 was he blew up. I mean, he was in The Falcon and JSA. Mm -hmm. And so after that, he could literally do no wrong. I mean, he was in Guns and Talks, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Uh, He was even in uh, No Comment, which the director of this movie, Pak Kwang Hyun, directed, but he was not in... Park Kwang uh, Hyun's uh, segment. You know, Save the Green Planet. Everybody loved him in that. I mean, so, like, he literally just has the ability to pick and choose, sort of. Um, I mean, I, I, I draw a very lazy comparison to to a Hong Kong actor I really like, based on the fact that Hia Kyun is one of those actors that I'll, if he's in it, I, I would like to watch it. And, and it's the same with uh, Francis Ng, Ng Junyu, who's, who's like this, you know, he, he did Juliet in Love and Bullets Over Summer, these kind of dramatic movies, and he played a bad guy in Young and Dangerous, you know, really out there bad guys. And then all, all of a sudden he can do a romantic comedy as well. He did right. Bakery Amour, which is uh, n- not a known Hong Kong movie, but a wonderful romantic movie, and he's absolutely perfect for that as well. So, uh, you know, uh, and he's in Infernal Affairs 2 as well, plays uh, one of the, one of the mob, mob bosses in that. So, it's one of many actors in the, both Hong Kong and in Korea that there's these actors that you, you'll you watch anything. I mean, one of my other favorite actors out of Korea is uh, Choi Min-sik, based on the fact yeah. that he's, that actor's good, I would like to watch him in yeah. anything. And I, I can base that on 10 minutes of screen time in one movie. Yeah. Or in the case of him, Choi Min Sik, I based that on the Fai Lamp. Yeah, he's—I mean, Choi Min Sik—he's been in so many great movies. You know, and not just Old Boy. Like in in America, everybody's just like, "Oh, that's the guy from Old Boy." But like, really, like, you know, he's the—you know—the bad guy in Shiri. He's in art movies. He's a music teacher. He play. You know, he plays a traditional Korean artist in the film. Like, I mean, he's everywhere. And I like also, I think that it's important to point out in this movie, uh, Jung Jae-young, who plays the North Korean sort of opposite of Shin Ha-kyun. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, Shin Ha-kyun and Jung Jae-young are pretty much my two current two favorite Korean actors. And they've actually been in a lot of roles, in or in a lot of films together, including uh, Guns and Talks. This film, uh, mm-hmm. also in uh, the big scene, aka Murder Take One. Um, but yeah, Jung Jae Young is one of the same kind of actor where he play he can play a hilariously funny role. And then in the next minute, be like really, really just serious or 
crazy or whatever. Mm. Um, and last year he was in, uh, or two years ago, I guess, Castaway on the Moon, which debuted in America at last year's New York Asian Film Festival and blew me away. I mean, he was so funny in that movie. One of the, uh, I'm going to round up my views uh, really quickly here before we go into spoiler terry later on, and I'll, obviously Stu is going to share share a lot with us as well, but uh, two, two things I want to mention briefly, the violence and the drama, or rather the melodrama, which is not really melodrama, but the, the violence I really do think deserves a mention because, you know, we get the horrors of war and the really brutal uh, killing at the start of the movie, but it's... It's not in the gory details in this movie. You know, uh, it has gore, but the impact of violence is often due to the drama of the situation, not the gore. And that's what I love when I'm affected hugely, when it's not about huge screw effects and all of that. And I think th- this movie strikes that balance very well. And uh, melodrama, I mean, talk about underplayed. I mean, even one vital scene has, the ca- has a character crying, but has his back to the camera. <laughs> Yeah. And it's a long shot. So it's like way, way above, way more affecting than to have someone just be loud about uh, about mourning or being sad in general. You know, I, I really like when they can pull that off as well. And uh, and uh, it's just it's a it's a great movie, and uh, it's it's sunk in now. Uh, you know, a day after I watched it. It's sunk in really that it it strikes all the notes very well. It you know it's very universal and it's very concrete and understandable all throughout. And despite it being a very Korean movie in intent, obviously it deals with Korean issues and Korean history. It still travels, uh, and that's you know the biggest praise you can give a movie really that it travels. So uh, I guess that's uh, that's a long short at all. I liked it. <laughs> uh, Rufus, have you got any other comments you'd like to throw out there before we dive into the spoiler territory? Not really, other than this movie is awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I liked it too. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure nice, right. and sweet. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we'll go take a quick break now and we'll be back with you in just a minute. Hi, this is Martin from NewKoreanCinema.com. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it for the recording of the show. Um, I was too busy taking my ghostly form going through people's DVD collections. Um, Stu and Ken have been kind enough to let me record a few thoughts on Welcome to Dong Mac Goal. Uh, it's an absolutely brilliant film. It's one of my favourite Korean films, and uh, it's a shame I wasn't there to discuss it with you guys. Uh, Welcome to Dong Mac Goal is one of the films that I always recommend if people ask what's a good film a good Korean film if maybe they haven't seen a film before or just if they just want to know what's a good film to watch Um, it's a film that tackles a lot of subjects that you find common in Korean cinema Uh, obviously the Korean War um, North and South issues they weigh heavy on as as a subject matter and Welcome to Dong Mac Gol manages to take the difficult and pretty horrendous subject of the Korean War, um, slightly removes it from reality and delivers 
amazingly, this feel-good film that's genuinely funny and uh, incredibly warm and moving. Um, I won't talk too much about the film because I pretty much agree with everything that's already been said um, in the podcast. Uh, I guess if I was there, I'd have just said, yeah, I agree with that, yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's, uh, there's, there's a point that's made later on in the second half, I'm giving the game away here, but the, the discussion of the ball scene, uh, I just need to weigh in and just say that I side with Stu on that scene. I absolutely love it, it cracks me up every time. It's just so mad and so over the top. Um, if you haven't seen the film yet, then that comment doesn't make any sense. And, but then you should stop the podcast here anyway because there's too many spoilers in the second half so go and get the film, it's great um, so what I'm going to do is basically skirt a little bit around what has been discussed elsewhere in the podcast um, I'll just quickly uh, go to a point that was uh, discussed earlier Shin Hakian, uh the discussion of has he made any romantic comedies well I don't know if he's made a straightforward romantic comedy but I've seen one film which is more of a soppy romantic melodrama called A Man Who Went to Mars which is a 2000 film, 2003 film directed by Kim Jong-kwan um, to be honest I'd barely remember anything about it myself. Uh, I think it's fairly standard uh, melodrama stuff um, which you really have to be into those kind of films to kind of appreciate them. I think people find them, you know, a bit kind of empty, a bit kind of shallow but if you get into them then basically you need a big box of tissues and you have to pretend that you've got something in your eye um, like I'm finding that I'm doing these days. <laughs> Uh, so what I thought I'd uh, do is maybe talk a little bit about war films uh, for a couple of minutes which are uh, obviously a big subject matter in uh, Korean cinema as I've said given the uh, the situation of North and South Korea which continues to this day if you see the news, if you've seen the news you know, uh, just a couple of months ago there's still tensions between North and South Korea that's, uh, you know basically making making the daily news and, um, so the the war film uh, war films have been fairly uh, common throughout Korean cinema but it was really the late 80s when the censors loosened up a little bit towards subject matters that could be discussed in films when uh, the films dealing with war became a little bit less just um, towing the line of, uh, you know, South Korean ideology is great and North Korean ideology is terrible. Um, but I won't say that there's uh, they haven't necessarily um, pitted the two ideas against each other in such a way that um, kind of slants in, say, North Korea's favour. That's not really going to happen I'm not, I think that's without kind of going into the politics of things it's uh, what what's more interesting is if uh, the two ideologies are basically um, or the, the two countries are given some kind of even ground in some way that they're able to either display uh, some of the ideas of each of the countries or as we see in Welcome to Dongmak Goal where basically the ideas become a little 
the the, the ideas are no longer the main concern because we see that at the end of the day it becomes more about people um, having more in common with other people um, so some a, a couple of examples of some war films that people might come across in uh, Korean cinema, sort of fairly easy to get hold of films um, one of the earlier I say earlier 90, 1994 films um, when I say earlier I'm talking from uh, the loosening of censorship really the late 80s and the early 90s uh, one of the earliest films that I've seen is Im Kwon Tech's The Tieback Mountains which is a film which is basically a it's epic in length, I don't remember how long it is but I think it's uh, about three hours long it's a, basically a story of a small town uh, in in the Taipak Mountains, which gets caught in the middle of the Korean War, and it's basically the story of the people who live there and how it's torn apart between uh, the different ideologies of the North and South who um, come in and come out. They go through the the town. It's uh, it's a film that requires a bit more of an understanding of the Korean War. It uh, it doesn't hang around for people it doesn't explain if you're unfamiliar with the the subject um one of the f- another film that was mentioned earlier is joint security area park chanwook's uh film we also mentioned it in the previous podcast um that's a film people should look up it's a fantastic film um about north and south korean soldiers forming an unlikely friendship again that uh shin shin is in that film as well and is absolutely brilliant um, a film which is fairly similar-ish to Welcome to Dong Mac Girl is a film called Heaven's Prisoners uh, sorry it's not Heaven's Prisoners at all it's Heaven's Soldiers um, this is basically a remake of a Sonny Chiba flick called G.I. Samurai in which a bunch of uh, soldiers. Uh, we have the North soldiers and South soldiers together. Um, f- magically, get sent back in time um, to. Let me just see how long ago it would have been to 1572. Basically, 1572 Korea. And similarly to Welcome to Dongmak, what it does is it takes them out of the present day situation, plumps them together, and suddenly they start to find out that they have more in common than um, just their position as soldiers fighting each other. Um, Heaven's Soldiers isn't as good as Welcome to Dongmak Gold, but the reason I bring it up is because it does have a UK DVD release. Um, it's worth a look. It's uh, it's not bad. I'd I'd go for Welcome to Dongmak Gold, but if you like the film, then uh, it's worth having a look at. Um, a couple of other uh, big war films, these were massive on their release in Korea. Um, there's a film called uh, Shilmidu, uh, which is a war film which uh, the same director released a follow-up film called in the UK, it's called Brotherhood. It's also, its Korean title is Taeguk-gi. Uh, and that is basically a war film which tells the story of two brothers which are divided by the war 
one fights for the north and one fights for the south. So really powerful film. Um, you get all of the comparisons with uh, Saving Private Ryan because it's one of those full-on, uh, gritty, big-scale action scenes. Um, again, that's a really powerful film. I actually, I'd, I'd really recommend Brotherhood. Uh, you can pick up the UK DVD for an incredibly cheap price. I think you can probably pick it up for two or three pounds. Um, there's there's lots of uh, films that address the war, um, such as the recent A Little Pond, which came out, uh, I think, a couple of years ago, and this one proved to be so controversial that it's not even really been shown massively in Korea itself. It was shown at this year's London Korean Film Festival. Uh, apparently it's pretty uh, harsh film um, so there's there's all different ways that the war has been tackled in films um, so there's a few titles to look for now one of the other subject matters that kind of comes up with uh, Welcome to Dongmangkul is uh, the portrayal of village life and the countryside in Korean cinema which is as we see in this film it's shown as fairly simple um, Occasionally in other films, it's played for laughs. The villagers might be seen as uh, lo local yokels that are basically not too clever. Welcome to Dolmago, um avoids that, and the villagers are basically smarter than the soldiers, the people that are running around trying to kill each other. Um, other examples of uh, Korean films that just pop into... Uh, villages are set, into, set in the countryside are My Teacher Mr. Kim, which is the story of a city teacher who is basically sent off to a village school uh, to go and work and it's the film's about how he deals with uh, the what's kind of seen as a bit of a backwards lifestyle, but again it's a kind of film where the country life is uh, shown to actually be in many ways superior to city life um, and I think that's one thing that actually more than uh, playing villagers for laughs uh, one of the things that does quite often come through is the uh, this sense of uh, village life and life out in the countryside of like harking back to maybe some kind of uh, simpler time and simpler time in a, in a positive way a simpler time in a good way um, there's again there's there's lots of films where you know I mean even the uh, the film Chore the giant pig film that came out recently uh, set in the countryside again there's similar sort of tones in there uh, film a period film called The Harmonium in My Memory which is set in the early 60s again is about a teacher who goes off to the village uh, to a village to uh, to teach at a school and so there's there's in these films there's a real sense of simplicity maybe um, really improving people's lives so it's quite an interesting uh, balance between uh, um, portraying kind of country folk as uh, simple either simple as in not clever um, which to be honest is very difficult to 
pull off without just appearing mean uh, but also there's this idea of country life as some kind of like a simpler time maybe you know something that is uh, there's a kind of yearning for um, I'll I'll just quickly talk a little bit about um, Kang Hyai Jung who's uh, who's absolutely brilliant in uh, Welcome to Dong Mac Go was the uh, basically the slow girl who we're never really told what's up with her but basically she's she's like a child and she's uh, a purely innocent character in the film and uh, so it's great the the way the film utilises her to put her between the villagers, the South Korean soldiers, the North Korean soldiers and the American soldier uh, I think she's fantastic in that film, it's, and I don't even understand the uh, the whole jokes with the accent, other than just thinking, uh, yeah, she sounds quite strange when she talks. Um, people have probably seen her in Old Boy. Uh, seems like everyone's seen Old Boy. Uh, she's pretty great in that. Um, I've I've seen a few of her other films, and everything I've seen her in has been uh, pretty great. Uh, she did a. 2006 film called Love Phobia which is a romantic comedy stroke melodrama in which she plays a girl who says that she's an alien and anyone who touches her is going to be cursed um, then one of the films actually which I must say, a film called uh, Kiss Me Kill Me, or I think it's also just called Kill Me, which is a 2009 film, is one of my favourite films that I saw last year uh, that was directed by Yang Jong Hyun, um, which is basically a black romantic comedy about a suicidal girl who hires a hitman to kill her. Uh, the suicidal girl is played by uh, Kang Hyai Jung, and the hitman is played by Shing Hyung Jun. I know I'm crucifying all these Korean names. I do apologise to anyone, uh, any Korean speakers. Um, Kiss Me, Kill Me is uh, so about this suicidal girl, the uh, the hitman who she hires to kill her um, stops right at the last minute um, and they strike up a friendship it turns out that he is uh, basically doesn't really have much of a life himself, he lives at home with his mother and so it's about this uh, unlikely friendship that happens between the two of them um, I've totally undersold that and made it sound pretty boring and terrible and I guess on paper it doesn't sound pretty it doesn't sound too impressive but um, the casting in the films, the performances in the films, the black comedy is really dry it's, uh, if you've got a bit of a wicked sense of humour then it's definitely one to look for um, as I say that was one of my favourite films that I saw in the last year so she's uh, she's one of the actresses if she's in a film basically I'm there, fantastic if you haven't seen Welcome to Don McGall, it's one of the films that you should just seek out straight away. Uh, in fact, I was going to say stop listening to the podcast and go and get it, but uh, the second half is full of spoilers, so if you haven't seen it, then genuinely stop the podcast and go and order it. Um, you can order it as uh, as was discussed under its uh, under Welcome to Don McGall or under the really bizarre name Battleground 625 um, which I'm in total agreement I've got no idea uh, what's with that name uh, I did ask 
uh, Cine Asia and was just told that basically it was a marketing uh, ex, you know, a, a marketing decision as these things are. So it's uh, it's got a totally misleading title and uh, misleading case, but as long as you know it's this film, it's uh, it's well worth getting. So uh, thanks for letting me go on a bit, and yeah, cheers. Back to the second half of the show now, and thank you, Martin, if you helped us out there. It's good to hear from you. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep, you could find out more from Marin on uh, newkoreancinema.com. Yep, that's like a not good enough plug. Mm-hmm. He was here, he's gone, he's went. So, <laughs> and now we could really get into like the juicy bits of the film where we could actually start dissecting it. And if you haven't seen this movie yet, it is, it is widely available in the UK. Um, you can find it on play.com. Uh, it's got both versions on there of the misleading version and the normal version pricing everything for like a couple quid up to ten pounds so it's easy to find and if you still don't want to put money on it you could rent it it's everywhere seriously you need to see this movie it is like that's why we're fucking talking about we are talking about the films you need to see Uh, some of the most affecting scenes in this movie still affect me to this day Mm -hmm. one of the great scenes in the beginning of the standoff between the two like, the two sets of soldiers was uh, one of the, the was it the beehive keeper coming running back and he mentions about the boars have been through one of the fields and it's like what should we do? Like, well I think it's like, we should give him a headlock, punch him in the eye three times and then <laughs> he'll run back <laughs> so yes. he should, like, tell his friends that don't go to Dongmat go and then it's like there's one other villager who has like this gangster attitude where he's like if it was me I would get all my boys and we'd come back and then we'd kick the shell and say okay well maybe we shouldn't try that then (laughs) it's just the simple little conversations between them and I think that they get very preoccupied by that despite the standoff still going on I mean it's boss now you know they they can have their standoffs we have boss (laughs) and I like it how it's only really the what would be our equivalent of like an English teacher that really understands when he sees the guns, he's the only one that raises his arms because he understands us. He's the like, <laughs> one of everything. Yeah, I think I, I think that that scene and the scene with Smith with that English teacher. Yes. Where he's like, "How are you?" Let's and like he he's waiting for Smith to say, "Fine, and you." <laughs> Because he thinks, like, that's how the conversation needs to be. And then later, like, you know, like, two or three scenes later, he's teaching the the Korean, like, the kids in the village the English lesson. And he's like, well, when when I ask you, how are you, you're supposed to say, fine, and you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that and, and, was, and, and that's almost a background element, kind of that immediately leaps out at you because yeah. you uh, track back to that moment. Audiences, audiences are on board with that. No, yeah, I mean, it's I, yeah, and I really do love that punch the bar in the, the eye three times because mm-hmm. they could care less. Who mm-hmm. cares about the machine guns? You know, like 
they don't to them it's just like what the hell is up with these weird people coming into our village you know mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah it is one of these moments we have to talk about is this weird uh, when the villagers do get confronted by the boar and this is to the point where the soldiers have pretty much just became villagers they've given well no I think they're still in their uniforms at that point yeah, this but, is like this that that scene is the moment in the movie. Like where, teamwork. Yeah, mm-hmm. teamwork comes into play. The North South like alliance joint whatever kicks in. And it, I thought that it was strange because you're kinda of looking and going, wait, what the fuck's going on? This is wait, that and now it to me it's it's this great uh it almost comes across as this really movie within the movie where it's a silent film because no one talks at all. It's just the great music by Joe Thingley. And <laughs> oh, damn you, Joe. Yeah. Yes. I, I I, I've never learned his name properly. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, Joey H. Just his, seriously, that. <laughs> Joey H. I like mm-hmm. that. Mm. And he just comes in and lays that fat beat, and it's all good. It's like that music's on, and it's that boar comes in, and there is not a word said. It's just all this really wide face expression, slow motion jumps. Yeah. Everyone, like, just, it's like a cuts to the shot of the crowd going, oh, and it cuts back. It's weird. It, it takes you out of the moment completely, but it such a smile-inducing scene where it is a grin from ear to ear and the strange thing about it is it's like entirely looks like entirely green scenes it looks like it must have been all shot on the stage because yeah. it just because they are they're in the field one moment and then it's just this really strange background and everyone's standing <laughs> in sets yeah. but it it does turn into this great moment and it almost feels like it's referencing like like Studio Ghibli's Princess Mononoke with these I, I giant guarantee, boards. I, I guarantee it's referencing that. Mm-hmm. Almost because, 100% because Pak Kwang Hyun is like, somewhere I remember him saying like, oh, you know, Miyazaki is a really big influence. And then you have uh, Joe Hisaishi doing the score. Mm-hmm. You know. And at times, I could, I think, and if it's just because I've seen uh, Dogma go too much, but I just, like, I feel like it maybe like, the music sometimes kind of goes into the same beat or the same instruments, like, especially when it's scenes in the forest, and if we compare it to the music that's in the scenes of the forest, uh, Princess Mononoke, I can't think, I can't tell if there's comparisons, but I just have this feeling that it's similar. It's maybe not note to note, but it just feels like there's this faint connection between the two, but it's probably because it's the same composer and... Yeah, you can't reinvent the, the wheel every time, so, so so no wonder you, mm-hmm. you know, consciously or unconsciously go down yeah. certain paths again. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this scene was extraordinarily popular when I saw this movie with the Korean audience. Like, people, I mean, A, the special effects for a Korean movie were 
pretty damn good for the boar. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, be, like people were like just rolling in their seats about this film, this part. You know, and I don't know. I think it's too overblown compared to the rest of the movie. That was my problem with it. That, yeah. uh, but maybe it took I th- me I, by surprise. Too much. Yeah, I mean, I think like I think like this this moment is sort of the like the top of the surrealism ceiling, so to speak, mm. Ma- or magical realism. Let's talk, call it. Mm. You know, because before you had the standoff ending with the grenade in the popcorn. Mm-hmm. You know, which is kind of, it's funny and it's weird, but it's not, like, too weird. And then you have the boar scene where you're just like, why? Like, it's just so overly stylistic that it becomes too much. And I think a lot of it is because it is this, you know, it's Pak Kwang Hyun's first movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is his first big budget, and he's trying to see what he can get away with. Well, he has two plus hours to get away with stuff. Exactly, you know, and it worked for him. I mean, I think, you know, it's the same thing as watching uh, Bong Joon-ho's Barking Dogs Never Bite. You have a two-hour movie where Bong Joon-ho is just like, I'm going to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And just go crazy. And this, I think it's the same sort of way. Like you were talking about earlier with the, uh, or like in the, our, the last segment about the shaky cam during the war films yep. or war scenes. I think that was him being like, we don't have a huge budget for the war scenes. So I'm just going to shake it. And, you know, that I'm going to try to mimic the Saving Private Ryan style on $8 million, you know. And in, in comparison, $8 million is probably what they spent on one take of the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the first five minutes of Saving Private Ryan probably cost even more than $8 million. Who knows? But you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and I, I don't know. I just think, I think that, that that boar scene is the same way. It's just a little... I like it, and it makes sense in the story in terms of getting the people together and, like, really bonding with teamwork. But at the same time, it's so, like, cartoony mm-hmm. that it, it kind of becomes too much for me. Uh, this, is the only, this is the only scene in the movie that I have a problem with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, but, but uh, you know, in, because I got that they bonded and the teamwork got, you know, a bit more smooth and all that throughout the film anyway, but but, but I guess it's a pivotal scene that I don't mind, but I, when I was thinking to myself, like, where could there be cuts in this movie? Probably that scene. But that was not me thinking, my God, this is an overlong film, where could they have cut? Not at all. It was not an overlong film for me, but... (laughs) That stood out uh, for me personally, but I, I, it's a, uh, it's one of those make it or break it scenes with audiences uh, clearly, you know, and uh, they don't sink the movie after that. Uh, not all the movie just goes straight up mm-hmm. after that and keeps going and going and going. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
one of the one of the best scenes in this film when it comes to like it's just the real happiness scenes where it like it gives you the warm feeling inside that isn't heartburn for once. When <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Smith we like, words do about you. It's <laughs> all the fizzy juice, man. Um, is when Smith like tries to teach them like American football. Yes. And uh, <laughs> just like throw it in the general, like drops into sands with his arms open, looking like. Did I do it wrong? <laughs> and it does. It just turns into those really heartwarming montages where they're all going down the hill on the wee, just like the the mats are made out of the leaves, and it's just got like Shinhakian in the background, just still hesitant. Like he's still got that protectiveness. Like he's not letting down his emotional barrier yet. And yeah. when he does, it leads into that heartbreaking scene with the bridge. Yes. And oh, every time that scene happens, I get so choked up. It's it, it's emotionally like gut-wrenching. Yeah. And the man's an amazing fucking actor just for like that scene alone. Just with the intensity of screaming down like at the whoever's commanding him to do the order and he's like can't and it's just just the screaming and the music and I think the camera's going shaky and it just Cuts back and forth for him mm. lying in the grass to him lying amongst bodies, like mm. bloody bodies, rubble. And and they don't show too much of that. I think that that shot where it's amongst the bodies is still <clears> a very <throat> tight shot. Yeah. But you, again, you get it instantly. I mean, it's it's a dagger in your heart, man. It's that That's what, what he had to go through. Yeah, I mean, and that, that, that scene is actually good you brought that up because that scene is one of those scenes that a historical background in the Korean War helps mm-hmm. because that actually happened. Mm. When basically at the beginning of the war when North Korea came came down and attacked, um, the president of, of Korea at the time fled, fled, fled Seoul and all South Korea, all of these people were fleeing down to, to Pusan to try to, you know, because the North Koreans were just coming down. And, you know, there, there was no American, really American troops because we had left Korea at that point. A lot, of, a lot of the troops had been brought back from Korea after World War II. And so the North Korea was going to win. And... Uh, re, uh, Syngman Rhee, who was the, the South Korean president at the time, fled, fled Seoul. And as he was fleeing Seoul, he said, blow up the bridges over the river. And he killed civilians, and he trapped people in Seoul. He didn't care. And so this, that, I mean, to me, that was, like, an important sequence. And I think, like, one of the things about this movie is that... This, you know, I had this big discussion with one of my Korean friends like a couple of days ago, uh, and she does not like this movie at all, and she thinks it's a naive movie about the Korean War. And my argument was that that it's as naive as it has to be to have had a big release, because if it was really showing what the Korean War was like, it would never get released because it's just too horrible. But. 
it was so evenly handed between the North Koreans and the South Koreans, and it did. It was not pro South Korea. It was not like, oh, South Korea is so, you know, like the person with the most baggage is South Korean because he had to kill all of those innocent civilians. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the only problem I had in terms of like the the war portrayal was the crazy American guy who was like, "I'll see you on the ground." Yeah. Aye. You know, and there was that might have been just his way horrible performance <laughs> over the top, <laughs> you know, performance. Um and that's not to say I'm not saying that I don't think Americans should be held, shouldn't be held accountable for the atrocities that they committed during the South Korean War because I think they should. And it was on both sides. And I did actually like how it wasn't just a group of American special forces. There were Koreans in that special forces. Because in an older Korean film, that would have just been made up of weird Americans with Russian accents because, you know, no American would play that role in Korea. And, you know, it would have been like these, you know, horrible Americans killing innocent Koreans things. I mean, you know, I mean, that scene alone, like that scene at the end where they come and like parachute down to the village after a night of celebration and violence in the war finally comes to Dolmakul really shows, in my mind, the horror and insanity of the Korean War. And I think that's a lot of why this movie was so popular in South Korea, because it was a movie that it wasn't totally about the war, so it wasn't just so depressing you can't watch it, but it had those moments of, like, you know, why was there a war? You know, we could have all had this life of friendship and, you know, being together, and this war ruined it and was so violent and killed so many innocent people. And it's never really clear if there's going to be a positive outcome after this, you know? The village the village has been, at the end of the movie, I mean, it's a, sort of a happy ending, but is it really a happy ending? What did you guys think? I mean... Or like one basic... Well, yes and no, because on one basic level, you know, four or five people like ignored their differences being northern and southern and you know got to spend time together and see each other for what they really are very human and have lots of things in common you know and it's a you know it's a by the end when they all presumably die in in that big explosion there it's a I don't know if it's a release for them. To, you know, it's it's worth it's worth having the moments we had, and because if we do leave here, we're going to get back to our old ways. You know, because we we're forced into that. We that's who we are. You know, we are northern, we are southern, and and that's never going to change. Never going to change. So you know, we, we got it's inevitable really at, uh, and probably the best solution for us to you know perish. And they obviously yeah. went into the last mission. Mm-hmm. Thinking that it was not a surprise that holy shit, hundred bombs. I didn't mm-hmm. think of that. <laughs> so it was. So, so I think uh, you know, for uh, they obviously with all all the smiles at, at the end, you know, kind of died happily. They didn't die in panic. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so for them it's a release, uh, I think, and uh, you have to look, you have to look at it that way, I think. And uh, all of this, again, very underplayed, uh, not uh, over the top, uh, over the top performed at all. Despite it feeling very big with the slow motion and all the explosions and all of that, it's still mm-hmm. pretty, pretty downplayed. Could have mm. been bigger. I just felt so bad, like the. Uh, the guy that was playing like the young pop, like how he brutally got killed. Yeah, that's the one death like, that like they kind of deserve to have like a huge impact death amongst all these like non-gory deaths, if you will. Yeah. Especially the girl's death. You know, you you don't see her getting shot on screen if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. No, mm-hmm. it's afterwards. Everything goes down, and you're never clear who shoots her either. Yeah, you know, because um, it was so chaotic. And, you know, and I think that, I think that's why I disagree with my, my friends who's, you know, like, I think that this movie plays the fine line of making a comedy out of a horrible tragedy, yet maintaining that tragedy. And the two people who didn't deserve to die, die in probably the worst ways in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know? And... That's sort of just like a little microcosm of the Korean War. I mean, it was so brutal and so rapid, and there's so many people dying. I mean, you know, there... And this, as far as I can tell, this takes place... I mean, this takes place basically... So, in terms of the Korean War, for those of you who don't know, North Korea came in and swept all the way down through South Korea into the southeast corner of Korea... And almost won the war. And then General MacArthur landed in the middle of Korea, at Incheon, and pushed down. And then the American forces and the South Korean forces pushed all the way up toward China. And so I think that, I mean, as far as I can tell from the dialogue and what I can gather from the film, that this takes place while the forces are going up to China. So this might be over the border of what we know as North Korea. Right. Because hmm. um, there's like a scene where he's like, the Chinese are going to come. You know, the Chinese are going to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and then following that par- portion of the war, like this, that entire like push all the way down, push all the way back up. And then that was really quick. And then... China entered because MacArthur got too crazy and like started getting too close to China and so Mao was like okay well you know it's either going to be here Taiwan or Vietnam that we fight the Americans and Taiwan we can't do because you know the Americans have a better navy and Vietnam's too far away so fuck it let's do Korea Mm. and so all of the all of the Chinese joined in and then they went all the way back down past Seoul and then they bounced out and this was all in like Almost like the first year and a half of fighting, and then the rest of the war was really just fighting while they were, you know, negotiating over the uh, a, a ceasefire treaty. But that that portion of the war where they're in had some of the most brutal, you know, massacres of people and just you know just you know insane stories. And then once the Chinese came in. Like, people were, like, overheating machine guns, killing people, and machine guns were, like, melting 
because they were killing so many human beings. Because the Chinese didn't have any guns, so their entire strategy was like, we'll just throw bodies at them until they run out of ammo. Wow. You know? I mean, and so, like, and that's the Korean War. I mean, this is, like, and so, like, you see that in this, this film, in turn, these, like, little bits of just horror and uncertainty. And, like, you know, the villagers don't understand why two, like, these Korean people, they all speak Korean you know, they're all Korean, the villagers don't understand why they're fighting. You know? And it's not until, like, the, the, the girl gets killed where the villagers are sort of drawn into their world. Like, before that, it's sort of funny and lighthearted. And, like, the violence is played off as sort of slapstick with the grenade in, in the popcorn. And then all of a sudden, bam! You know what's going to happen like who knows what's going to happen to the villagers it's never never clear you know smith we never know if smith even makes it to the base mm-hmm. you know and like you know who knows like if they got bombed or what their fate was when the north koreans came back down and found like a you know south korean or american gun or whatever in the village the north koreans could have killed everybody or the South Koreans and the Americans going through the village could have killed people because they thought they were North Korean sympathizers, you know? And I think that's the real horror of this film at the end. Like, I mean, the real, like, the subtlety of knowing this history comes into play where, yes, these characters have this really huge sacrifice at the end where they all die, but is it for a good cause? And I think, like, you know, this is a perfect example of sort of the ultra-sad and the funny mixed together in like the best way possible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just life. It's not like a comedy or a tragedy. It's just like, you know, you feel like, I don't know, like us three could end up in this village and have the same experience tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like it never feels like to me, at least it feels that realistic. In terms of like how the the comedy is very subtle and whatnot, and, and like the sort of you know usually in Korea and comedies, tragedy in the comedy like goes up and down so so vastly. Like you know for like Sex is Zero, for instance, where it's just like sex comedy. Oh, abortion! Ha! Tragedy. <laughs> You know, and like, so that's like so extreme, but this is like the ups and downs are so natural and like so in tune with the performances and the charisma of the characters and like the, you know, everything that I think it works so well. And I think that it's so affecting. I mean, people were crying in this film too. So you want, you're not affected by this. um, Yeah. You, 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 and, that's why I keep coming back to underplayed doesn't mean that it's only like the the scholars or the arty crowd that will get the emotions underneath it. It's underplayed but it reaches you like instantly and grabs a hold of you instantly. I mean, Stuart's talked many times about how this affected him. I mean, uh, the, the very end, Stu, with all the bombs falling and them smiling, how, how, how do, do you feel happy or sad at that moment, really? <laughs> you have a sort of... Um... It 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 kind of takes the edge off it, 
the fact that they're smiling is like is like some sort of acceptance in death where they where they feel like they've saved the village or they've averted the fire towards them. Yeah, they have the. It's basically like they've accomplished their mission and they're ex, they're ready to go out. Mm. And as a bonus, like understood a little bit more about you know each other across across borders yeah. across and and uh, uh, it, it's really like it's scary in a way you know initially when they stand off i think they mention a bunch of times like uh, you know them, them puppet armies you yeah. know it, it's all propaganda talk that they've been taught it's not mm-hmm. something that they think they've been programmed but during this experience they get deep programmed in a way because they they are again away from conflict uh, i think so Effective. They they have that privilege, yeah. And I think that privilege, you know, resonates in that ending moment. That that coincidentally, by the way, I, I think the ending is, you know, the tour de force technical, uh, tour de force and technical uh, filmmaking because I think they did so well actually mixing the CG with all the physical effects of that mm-hmm. uh, battle in the snow. I think they did really really well. Uh, it was exciting. Yeah, and there's some crazy stunt work in that end. Like, those guys being sprung right against the explosions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was practical, and Korean stuntmen are crazy. <laughs> so, you know, like, that was pretty dangerous. Like, I was like, whoa, shit. Uh, how's the union rules and shit like that in Korea? I mean, it's... Uh... What unions? Yeah, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah, you guys... Right on. You... Right on. Yeah. <laughs> You guys, there's a. You guys should watch. There's a documentary called uh, Action Boys, that's about the stuntmen in the Seoul Action School, and about them like you know practicing becoming stuntmen, and it is utterly fascinating. <laughs> because like it's crazy. These guys don't get paid anything, and do these insane stunts, <laughs> like no money. And, like, very, very minimal protection because, you know, in America, like, there's nothing, like, you know, you have to, like, have, like, crazy safety regulations and union rules and what have you. And, like, this Boring. Yep, this movie is, like, we only have $8 million. We're just going to explode something right next to you and you're going to jump out of the way. How does that? Uh, it's Asian Hong Kong feel that you know. You, yeah. Chink a lot. Can you jump? Yeah. Can you jump from that height? That very high height. I think like there's a lot of there, there was actually in terms of and again this is I'm sorry for the the sidetrack historical sidetrack. No worries. But there's a there is actually a lot of interplay between Hong Kong action films and Korean f- film industry. So, for instance, uh, like, what's that, Five Fingers of Death or whatever, Hand of Death or whatever, that was a Korean director. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, King Boxer, original, yeah. original title. Yeah, and like, I mean, and even, there was a lot of co-productions in the 70s, and there was a lot of back and forth, so that sort of mentality, that stunt mentality, probably, and this is... Not for sure, but one of my friends is doing a P- his PhD dissertation on this topic. Actually, the Taiwan, like Taiwan, Hong Kong, Korea co-productions, right. uh, and 
you know, I would think that this sort of stunt mentality and, like, way of working with it sort of disseminated from that. So I'm not surprised that it's so similar to the Hong Kong way of shooting, you know? Like, there's that famous famous story about John Woo shooting real bullets and bullets to the head because he didn't have money to buy blanks. I can very well imagine that. Uh, I've, I've never really... I've, never ever picked up a DVD with any special features of Bulletin Heads. I've never heard anything. I don't, I don't uh, know myself, if it's on DVD, uh, but I've just, I've read that several places. Yeah, well, that... well, 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 it's documented that John went a bit insane on some of his uh, movies. Uh, the, the, the final explosion uh, during Hard Boil, where Chinese Fat is running with the baby, he loaded up with way too much, and they like you gotta take some of those explosions out, man. This, this shit is dangerous, and it was dangerous even when they took out a lot of the yeah. explosions that was that, that was rigged. And uh, Chai Fats and John Woo's relationship was strained for a minute there. Yeah. But uh, they got the shot. <laughs> and yeah, you're very right. I mean, we talked about the... Early John Woo uh, movies on, on Podcast on Fire, and one of them was set in Korea, the Dragon Tamers, and uh, so uh, you know uh, that interplay is uh, yeah, uh, it has a history definitely. So sorry for the sidetrack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Hong Kong territory again. How nice! Yeah. <laughs> See, there's there there is a way you can like Korean film. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I'm going to try and quiz you on, Rufus, is. There's the one scene where there is the constant uh, language barrier between Smith and villagers, and yeah. the Lodi finally gets a hold of the name and calls him uh, Sumis, or Sumisu. Yeah. And all the villagers find that really funny. And I have <laughs> no idea why that's so funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that means anything. Like, I mean, I could be wrong. But I think it just sounds so weird in Korean because mm-hmm. they literally think because you know Korean names are have the syllable breakdown like Chinese names, so you have mm-hmm. you know three syllables generally. So like su mis or su misu or like mm-hmm. you know it just sounds weird in mm-hmm. Korean. So people who have no concept of like that's just one name. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's kind of where that comedy comes from. I always saw it as like they 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 kind of got the name, maybe thirty percent of the name, and that was like pleasant to them, and you know, it was pleasant for them to find yeah. out. Uh, it looked, uh, you know, all the ladies were smiling. Ah, oh, that's your name. Yeah, and I I. There's so many little moments in this movie I love, but I really love the movie where he's, or the moment where he's trying on the hanbok, they're giving him, like, the, the traditional Korean clothes, and the first one he, he gets is really small. <laughs> you know, it's too small. And then so, like, during the, the, the festival, the ladies, like, had sewn him a new one <laughs> that was much bigger. And, like, I just really love that, that scene. And then that, you know, like... Even like even though it's probably his worst acting moment, <laughs> but the the moment where he has the the, grass. the, the on the ba- no the one on the back, the guy on the back, and they're walking away from right before the Americans and South Korean 
troops attack where they're walking away. He's like, oh, listen to those guys. Having so much fun. You know? And, like, that might be his worst acting in terms of the whole film. And he, compared to every other foreign actor in Korea, is, like, Oscar-nominated worthy. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's pretty much universally bad in in any Asian film, really. But Korea is pretty horrible. They literally just pick people off the street. And I know this because I've been approached. had some friends in Korea that were actually in a drama Literally, people were, and they were like, finish. <laughs> and like, producers were like, we need you to play Americans. And they were like, okay. You know. Dear just, Lord. Yeah. So that, that gives you an idea of how these guys are cast. But this one, you know, this guy was really good. Um, but those little moments really just like, I kind of just smile. And I mean, maybe it's just personal because like I have a Hanbok too. And the first one I tried on was like way, way too small. And it came up like halfway on my forearms, you know? <laughs> so I don't know, like little moments like that were really, mm-hmm. really good. You know, that question pops up. Do, do they cast a guy like him out of Korea or was he an American actor they flew in literally? Um, from what I saw of the making of, they did have a guy pick him up uh, from yeah. the airport, and he was like LA to. Yeah. So, so it, it, right, it, it, it wasn't like they're running about the streets like you'll do, Whitey. Yeah. <laughs> you no, want I mean, hot dog and Coca Cola for payment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think like he he's actually he was in another movie too on IMDb, but I've never seen it. Um. Sometimes I do cast actually cast people, and I think like it's it's slowly getting better. You see, like there's a there's a female like the a foreigner in Please Teach Me English is another Korean comedy. Um, more recently, there's been a lot of like Pakistani, Indian, Bangladeshi actors in some Korean films and things. Um, and then my favorite foreign scene is in Bittersweet Life where he's like just kind of hanging out in a car with the the gun like one of the bad guys is just hanging out in a car with like these gun runners and they're just like joking in Russian or or whatever language (laughs) and it just feels so natural and it's just kind of like this throwaway scene that I'm like yes that like that is how this should work instead of like you know these, I mean, it's, it's, it's popular. People, I have people, I have friends in Korea who are on TV solely because they are foreign and speak Korean. <laughs> That's it. That's all you need to do. So if you're, if you're listening and you're like, how can I get on TV? Learn <laughs> Korean, move to Korea, and you'll be on TV. <laughs> That's, pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Walk around enough studios. Yeah. Forget Hollywood. Yeah. Overrated. I mean, it it works better if you're a girl. <laughs> just just saying. Sounds, uh, uh, sounds like exploitation TV. Yeah. Well, uh, and my friends are on this this program called uh, Beautiful Girl. <laughs> it's literally just about girls who. Beautiful girls who speak Korean <laughs> who are foreign. For five that's five the, days a week for one yeah, hour. <laughs> that's that's the concept of the movie. Yeah, Korean 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 TV is crazy. Welcome so. to another episode of Beautiful Girls Being Beautiful, mm-hmm. season so. twelve. <laughs> 
so um w wonder if we can uh, like uh, get the mic ban on uh, Korean TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, podcast on fire on Korean TV perhaps. You can hold up a sign or wear a t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Oh, where's the Andy Lau t-shirt, master? Oh, uh, yeah, that's somewhere. That's somewhere. Yeah. We did a podcast on fire Andy Lau t-shirt. That someone wore in public for us. Mhm. Mm and he walked around Chinatown wearing the t-shirt, the poor man. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, at least it's Andy Lau and not someone like uh, that uh, That Chinatown uh, might hate. Chairman you know? Mao. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, Al or Alan Tam or some shitty actor wow. like that. <laughs> or Michael Wong. <laughs> Punched in the face. Or the Weinsteins. Yeah. <laughs> Burn. That's right. <sighs> Sorry. Editing point. <laughs> I was about to say, it's like, podcast and fire, that's like, contone anything. Opinions are given out. going to read it very fast, and then we cover, cover, cover our asses uh, legally. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, is there any other notable scenes we've not touched on? I feel like I didn't know enough about the other general, like, Scarface. Like, what about this dude? I don't... I'm not familiar with much of his background work. Yeah, Has there been sure. any other notable films that people should look into? Yeah, I mean that that is uh that's uh Scarface. <laughs> uh Jung that's Jung Jae Young. Mm -hmm. So um he Pretty got good. his start in Green Fish. Alright, yeah. Uh, which is uh, Yi Chang Dong's first movie. Mm -hmm. And then he went to Quiet Family. And Guns and Talks, No Blood, No Tears, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, Shilmido. Um, he wasn't... I mean, he does a lot of comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, he did. Uh, he also did Righteous Ties recently. Wedding Campaign's pretty funny. Uh, a 2007 movie that I, I personally really like is uh, called, uh, in English, probably Going by the Book. Um, and that's an absolutely hysterical film. A basically quick plot is he's he's like this uptight ultra cop who just is like so good at his job that he gets busted down to uh, like traffic because he keeps pissing people off because he's too good. <laughs> like he keeps stopping people who are, like, you know, governors for speeding and things like that. <laughs> and so there's a rash of bank robberies. So they decide they decide to, like, the media is coming into town because of all the bank robberies. So they decide to, like, hold a police-wide um, drill where they, like, he's given the assignment to rob a bank. He's going to be, like, the fake robber and all the police. So it's like a, a, a real-life drill. But the thing is, he's 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 not only good at being a cop, but he's so good at being a cop that he's really, really good at being a criminal, too. <laughs> and so it's one of those just really funny, and Zhang Jin, again, uh, produced it. I think he also wrote it. And, re and then last last year he did Quiz King, which is another really fun, fun movie. And a year ago he did Castaway on the Moon, which is... Uh, right. My favorite movie, Korean movie of two thousand nine. So, 
he just has a dignity about him, and yeah. uh, you know, it's it's my, really my favorite character because I, I love the little exchange he has with the village uh, leader yeah. uh, when he essentially says, "Oh, it's the Weinstein's." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whoop, whoop, coming to get me. <laughs> <laughs> they're go, they're coming to cut a movie. Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm just on a shelf for ten years and never get released. <laughs> uh, but uh, he he learns a little bit more about leadership through the leader in the village in this wonderful exchange. Where mm-hmm. what's the secret? Just feed them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a wonderful brilliant. little scene, and 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 it says a lot more than just the act of making sure your men uh, have food. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 the wonderful uh, and the wonderful uh, poop scene in the grass <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's an example of uh, I can totally see him being apt at uh, apt at uh, comedy because he he has uh, kind of deadpan reactions and he's a good reactor as well. Yeah, you guys really should track down a copy of Castaway on the Moon because <laughs> it's that like that pooping scene is is it's. it's consistent throughout that movie. I mean, it's just like this really brilliant, like, subtle comedy of personality. Mm-hmm. You know? And that movie is crazy, because the whole movie is based off of he wanted to kill himself, so he jumps off of a bridge, and then ends up on an island in the middle of the river that goes through Seoul. <laughs> but he can't swim, so he gets stuck on the island. <laughs> I can't imagine that visual right in front of me now. Like. Yeah. <laughs> And it's brilliant. And, uh, like, I mean, he, he does serious movies, too, but I think... And he does a really good job in serious movies because, like, like you, know, you know, he has that really charisma and that, you know, very nuanced take on emotion, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does so well. Good-looking guy, too. Yeah, he's very good-looking. And it's interesting, too, in Castaway on the Moon because... He goes to this crazy extreme of like it looks like he didn't wash for the entire movie, like when they're filming. Like and and I say this only because in Korea, like the looks of the stars are huge. Mm-hmm. You know, like even in like oh you're supposed to be ugly, you're still really good looking, and the the ugliness might be a teeny little scar on your forehead or something. Right. You know, but in that movie he had like cracked lips and like this crazy beard going on and just like really just gross and like his hair is growing out and like it was awesome <laughs> I, like I like that drop vanity for for your art yeah that's admirable and not pretentious at all no and i think that i really i think that like you know i think one of the reasons why like Jung Jae-young as an actor is that reason exactly because I feel like he's the kind of guy that would come onto this show drink gin and tonics with us and just shoot the shit <laughs> you know and be totally cool doing it mm-hmm. whereas like you know someone else would be just like fuck you guys you know like I think like there's this like lack of like you know there's this humbleness to him and it comes through in his characters that he plays. Or he could just be a really great actor and be a total dick in real life. Who knows? <laughs> it's always, always a gamble. It's yeah. always a gamble. But uh, 
I, I just wanted to mention one one uh, the scene before the pooping uh, because I, I not being a filmmaker at all and probably w will never be able to be a filmmaker I admire when you can make simple moments stand out hugely on film and the the scene where the South Korean guys are planning to find the boar to cook it to eat meat and when they found the North Korean guys have already done so there, there's a moment when they cut to Korean guy with meat in his mouth. You know the way he stops with something in his mouth. You know yes. that freeze in his tracks kind of moment, which is an age-old guy. I admire when you can make those kind of moments absolutely spot on and wonderful. Yeah. Because I know, I know this for a fact though. You don't do that half-assed and get a huge effect. It takes extreme many many elements for that moment to be precise. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I admire that so much. I, f I thought that scene that lasted maybe for a nanosecond, that reaction was absolutely wonderful. You know, uh oh. And mm. then he just stops. It's absolutely great. Uh, so that I, I admire that comedy when done correctly. That kind of quirky, quirky, age old comedy. And uh, a lot of that stuff I see, albeit a bit more broad, in uh, various uh, various uh, Johnny Toe movies. Uh, I think he's very good at that as well. Very silly co comedy out of nowhere. And I'm just going to quote one example: beginning of Exiled, where where they all stop to. It's either to help Nick Jung's character move, or just repair or build furniture. You know, all 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 these killers have showed up, but they cannot stop them start to help out instead and it's that switch in that scene yeah. something comedic I absolutely love and so well well done in terms of that humor in Dong Makola perhaps that's one of the mo you know, most prominent things I take with me because I, I get jealous <laughs> god damn it that looks so simple I want to do that I want to be good yeah. at that but it probably isn't simple yeah and I think that I mean that comes from the director's skill and it also comes from Zhang Jin who is the screenwriter and the person who directed the play or created the play that this movie was based off of. Mm. And like his, you know, his other movies are like that as well. You know, like guns and talks while there's, you know, it's kind of early on in his career and there's things that don't really work at the same time. There's so many great little moments of humanity, like that moment where he has the meat in his mouth mm -hmm. that work. And these great comedic beats. That's the hardest. I think the hardest genre to direct is comedy. Oh yeah, without a doubt, in my mind. And like, there's so many. Like this, the director and the writer and the actors, you know, came together so well in this movie to create those moments of humanity where you're like, you know. Because comedy relies on you relating to the characters. And, like, that, mo you know, that moment where he has his mouth, you know, you're like, A, you kind of figure he hasn't eaten in a long time. <laughs> yeah, as evident by the poop scene. Like, yeah. Like, wonderful dialogue. I haven't had fat so long. It just went yeah. straight through me. <laughs> you know? And then, B, like, you know, just his facial expression. And also, because by that time in the movie, you're so invested in not only the South Korean characters, but also the North Korean characters that you really want that moment to be the one where they come together. Yes. And that is that moment. You know, so it's satisfying as an audience to see like okay, well he reaches out and gives 
the meat to them. And then there's that great sequence, you know, that scene in that movie, that, that sequence where Smith looks at the South Korea, like, you know, he gets the piece of meat from the North Korean, and he looks at the South Korean guys and he's like, is this okay if I eat it? <laughs> you know, and then they're all together and eating, and then they're all together and pooping later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And borders are erased. Yep. <laughs> By poop. Yep. <laughs> Bodily functions, a, a, main, a mainstay of Korean cinema. It's either <laughs> pissing, pooping, or sex, pretty much. Yeah, that's right up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes all together, depending on what movie you're watching. <laughs> nice. Should we end on a, uh, should we end on a poop tangent, therefore? Yeah, my mind's ruined. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> So that's how, you, that's how you end it, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's the Monty Python way. Mm-hmm. It's it's truly truly like one of my top Korean films of all time. It's and it, it does it has a great re, replay value to it. And I can imagine that. Yeah, there is there's so many great scenes in the movie, and it's it's so like so ten like, out of ten. So like cheers to for. You know, finally, kind of making me watch this because uh, you know I knew of it when you spoke of it a few years ago. But uh, being me, I, I like forget about it and not. I, I don't have as a pro- priority to sit down and order Korean movies. I mean, this because this show was created by you, it became you know the reason for me uh, to to watch it. I'm, I'm I'm glad I got a chance to to do so. Yeah, and if there's ever a What's Korean Cinema 2, <laughs> let me know, because then I can school you guys in some more obscure Korean films. <laughs> nice. So, um, I think there's only one last question to ask. So, Ken, what did you think of the film? Too fucking long.